Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Gene Meserve. Welcome to Spy Talk. I'm Gene Meserve. Jeff Stein is off on medical leave. Illegal immigration has been one of the most toxic issues in American politics for decades, and there is no indication that is going to change. Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has been sending busloads of migrants to New York City and Washington, D.C. Some dismiss it as a re-election stunt intended to generate publicity. But Abbott told Fox News the purpose is to give so-called sanctuary cities a taste of what Texas experiences every day. Most of America has not really understood the magnitude of the problem that we have on the border until we started sending these buses up to uh, New York. Remember, this is not a Texas problem. Uh, This is an American problem caused uh, by the president of the United States of America. Alan Burson has been immersed in the immigration issue for years, serving as the so-called border czar for the Department of Homeland Security and as head of Customs and Border Protection in the Obama administration. I asked him about the quality of the intelligence gathered on the southern border. Human smuggling has transformed uh, over the last uh, uh, 30 years. Uh, in, in, ni- in the 1990s, when irregular illegal migration uh, first really got onto the screen of American politics in a, uh, in a way that has not stopped since, uh, most of the smuggling that was taking place was in by so-called mom and pop operations. Kinds of cases that we saw on the US-Mexico border were uh, people bringing other people in uh, two or three or four at a time, uh, whether hidden in in compartments and vehicles and and tractor trailers uh, or being smuggled across the border uh, uh, between the ports of entry uh, by coyotes. Uh, the the uh, amount of money that it took to get smuggled into the United States was a fraction of what it is today. What we've seen, uh, because of the push factors uh, out of countries and the pull factors into the United States, we've seen these numbers uh, increase so that we've moved from what was largely a Mexican migration issue from the 1960s uh, through, uh, let's say, 2015, when for the first time uh, we saw Central American refugees become the problem of of, uh, smuggling. And because you were dealing with countries that were not contiguous to the United States that required more elaborate smuggling mechanisms to get people from Honduras and Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, into the United States through Mexico. We, we saw an expansion of the smuggling rings and a change in the way in which they operated. And, and now, of course, we're seeing smuggling from all over the world, large numbers of people uh, uh, coming from the uh, outside the Western Hemisphere, uh, still from the, the Middle East and, uh, and Asia, Many people in Africa continue to go to Europe, but more and more we're seeing large numbers of people 
uh, being uh, smuggled into the United States after having made a journey from the Eastern Hemisphere uh, into South America and then up through South America, through the Darien Gap uh, into uh, Central America and then through Mexico to the Southwest border. Those logistics involve organizational capacity that is far different from what we saw a generation ago. Bigger. Much bigger, much more powerful. And as the costs of smuggling and the fees generated by smuggling increased, as they have dramatically, you began to see more and more of a interest of organized crime in getting involved in this. First, in the, over the last 10 years in the those that control the approaches, the corridors into the United States, the so-called plazas, uh, charging a fee to the smuggling, human smuggling groups and human trafficking groups, uh, you're seeing much more now a direct involvement of transnational organized criminal groups in this enterprise. When I see stories about the U.S. being surprised by, for instance, migrant caravans, our intelligence must not be very good if we are not seeing these huge groups of people heading our way. We see them, but we lack the kind of intelligence that we would want to know in terms of how are the groups being generated, how are they being organized, how are they being financed, and on top of the issues we identified in the narcotics context, we have some uh, very specific factors that have prevented uh, a prioritization of this, that is a, a focus on intelligence gathering with regard to migration movement. So it's, it's just not been a priority? It, it, it has not been a priority, notwithstanding the fact that every pronouncement uh, talks about increasing the resources that will be devoted to taking down, end quote, uh, human trafficking groups. And while there have been elements uh, of improvement in the last four or five years as this problem has gotten on the screen, we're still nowhere near uh, uh, the capacity that we need to know where these groups are coming from, how they operate, and, and, and taking actions to disrupt them. Is a wall going to solve the problem? Uh, absolutely not. Not only was Janet Napolitano right about uh, show me a 50-foot wall and I'll show you a 51-foot ladder, uh, but the, the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, the way in which people uh, are brought to the United States really happens far away from the borderline. You know, often with regard to the drug problem and the migration problem, we focus on the borderline, la linea between the United States and Mexico. But in fact, uh, in order to successfully counter these activities, we have to enlist time and space. We have to deal with them as far uh, geographically as we can from the borderline and as early uh, before uh, these illicit goods or irregular migrants uh, arrive at the borderline. Are we going to get that kind of cooperation from the countries involved? I wouldn't think some of them would have the capacity. Well, certainly the uh, 
Northern Triangle countries, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador lack uh, the infrastructure. Mexico has, has cooperated more with regard to migration management, but not because their hearts, frankly, are in it, uh, but rather, and, and one can understand that because of the presence of 11 million Mexican, undocumented Mexican migrants in the United States and, and the need from the Mexican government perspective to protect those people as best they can. Uh, but we have gotten cooperation uh, either through real partnership, which we saw during the Obama administration and the Bush administration, uh, but also because of uh, even in the context of the Trump administration, the threats that were made, the tariffs that were imposed uh, reminded the Mexicans something they never forget, which is the economic dependence of their country and their export trade on, on commercial relations with the United States. So that cooperation uh, never as complete as it could be, uh, obviously is not stopping the number of people that uh, are arriving at the Southwest border. Uh, but that is, I think, pales in significance to the broken immigration system that we have and the failure to enact comprehensive immigration reform uh, in the last generation that has made the situation, exacerbated the situation, both in terms of uh, providing incentives for people to travel in a regular fashion, uh, as well as the, uh, the willingness of undocumented parents, understandably so, and, and relatives in the United States to finance the smuggling of, of their relatives and children uh, from the countries of uh, origin. I want to get to immigration reform in just a moment, but we've mentioned the economic drivers um, that send people north. Um, a lot of them are just fleeing violence and persecution. Um, there was an effort um, to try and provide aid to those countries to stabilize things to some degree. Um, I believe it was cut off during the Trump administration. Is that effort back in full swing? And do you think it'll have a significant impact? So there's no question that the root causes, the push factors, whether it's violence or poverty, lack of economic opportunity, uh, 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 natural disasters uh, that, that make it increasingly difficult for people in, in Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador to remain uh, in, in safe and, uh, and humane conditions. There's no question that addressing those root cause, causes are absolutely critical. The uh, difficulty is that this is a 40-year phenomenon. The main uh, deterrent that we saw, now actually uh, lessening, but the main deterrent to Mexican migration that then led Central American migration to uh, uh, exceed Mexican migration was the growth in the Mexican economy that took place in the aftermath of the North American Free Trade uh, Agreement. Uh, Mexico uh, is now has the... Uh, 16th largest economy in the world. Uh, that was what made it possible for Mexicans to, to remain in their, in their homeland. And, and the, we then saw the problem, the same problems driving Central Americans and other people from around the world toward the United States because of the 
obvious attractiveness of economic opportunity here, uh, security here, and, uh, and civil liberties here, at least for the moment. Should we be doing more to improve their economies, to help them deal with national uh, with natural disasters? And the There's like? no question, but the, the, the question that arises both in the Obama administration when Vice President Biden was leading that effort, and now when Vice President uh, Harris is leading that effort, is that we tend to approach this gene in terms of incremental program, programmatic relief administered by uh, the State Department and the Agency for International Development. And, and while those efforts are hard to criticize, they are laudable, they simply won't get the job done. They simply cannot, within the time frame, within a meaningful time frame, lead to changes in the, uh, in the, in the situation uh, that will stem uh, irregular migration to the United States. You know, having said that, we, we need to change the nature of the programs, prioritize them, uh, resource them better than we're doing, organize them in, uh, in the country to address specific problems in a sequenced priority fashion, violence being one of them. Uh, how do you actually work with, with uh, authorities in the Northern Triangle countries to bring down the level of violence? Uh, same could be said for Mexico. Uh, but we, this, the, the larger issue is an economic one. And, and I've always uh, believed uh, from government days that the most effective way of dealing with the root causes is to do what we did in the case of Mexico, when Canada and the United States really connected very in, in, in path-breaking fashion back in the 1990s, to, do, to, to get the Mexican economy uh, involved in the North American economy. We're talking NAFTA. That was NAFTA, continuing with USMCA, but we need to now extend the notion of North America for lots of reasons, but, but particularly uh, with regard to this migration issue. We have to see the region of North America as really not just being the three core countries of Canada, Mexico, and the United States, but rather a region that extends from Colombia to the Arctic and, and, and from Bermuda in the Atlantic to Hawaii in the Pacific. And it starts to understand that the Caribbean Basin and Central America are parts of North America that have to be integrated into the quite remarkable shared production platform that now exists uh, among Canada, the United States, and Mexico low-cost manufacturing that has been the maquiladoras on the U.S.-Mexican border, they actually need to be, uh, uh, the private sector needs to be uh, helped uh, by government to move those industries uh, uh, to the south, to the Mexico-Guatemala border, so that, in fact, people in those countries have a livelihood and a, uh, a future what drives people out of their countries is the lack of hope. That's what drove my grandmother uh, to this country 110 years ago. Give me your dream a vision of what comprehensive immigration reform would look like. So first it would start with a, uh, uh, a repair of the, uh, of the asylum system, which is thoroughly broken and now, uh, now exploited uh, by smuggling groups 
uh, and and irregular migrants themselves. Again, uh, in the case of the latter, perhaps for understandable reasons. But when we look at the overall immigration system, the last comprehensive immigration reform we had was really during the Reagan years. And then we had a significant uh, uh, reform uh, in the 1990s. Every 30 years, we have in this country had a quite fundamental reform of the immigration laws, and we haven't had that. And I fear that we may have missed the opportunity, given existing domestic political situa situation, to, to have it in the foreseeable future. But actually, the, the, at, the, at the beginning of the Obama, administra uh, Obama administration's second term, the proposal uh, that was crafted by the so-called Gang of Eight, bipartisan group, uh, was actually quite good. Not perfect, but politics is not intended to achieve the perfect. But it was a comprehensive reform that addressed people who are here in this country in undocumented form, people uh, who were seeking family reunification with, with relatives uh, in this country. Uh, it, it, it addressed the uh, high uh, skill uh, sector uh, as well as the low uh, skill uh, occupations. It was a quite a remarkable uh, proposal that it was hammered out uh, by Republicans and Democrats alike. And then, as we know, even though it would have passed the House if the Hastert rule, if the re Republicans had freed their caucus to vote, you would have had a sufficient majority to pass in the House. But, you know, John Boehner, a very decent man, felt that he could not uh, uh, bring it out of the caucus, so he never permitted it to, to, uh, to a vote. That is, is a, uh, was a turning point, I think, in this story. And the chances of anything passing now, as you mentioned, because of the current political climate, probably nil. For the foreseeable future, uh, that's a fair assessment, Gene. So talk about the intelligence side. If we're gonna get smarter, about seeing what's coming at us, who's coming at us, what kind of threat they pose. How does the intelligence about the border have to improve? Well, first you'd need the, the political will to actually want to develop the kind of information that would affect, that would uh, facilitate effective enforcement. There's a real question uh, because of the divide in this country between immigration advocates and opponents, uh, whether or not uh, all of the rhetoric about needing to take down smuggling groups uh, actually is, uh, is genuine. Oh, know, what do you mean? Both the left and the right, uh, oh, the only thing they agree on is that, oh, these smugglers are, are miserable curs and they are uh, uh, subjecting migrants to uh, to unaccountable atrocities, which they are, uh, and we need to uh, dismantle them. But we don't ever devote the resources and the effort to this, notwithstanding the creation of trafficking centers. Because, because they're a convenient political foil, is that what you're saying? They're a, they're a, uh, they're a foil, but they also, uh, you know, in here, uh, looking at it from the advocacy community uh, in a very uh, odd but perverse way, 
the smuggling groups, because we're now seeing uh, 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 migrants coming from not Mexico, contiguous to the United States, smuggling groups are absolutely essential to get people from the sending countries up to the US border through Mexico. So there is a sense among some elements in the advocacy community that smugglers for, for all of the evil they do are in some sense, an underground railway that provide relief for people who are fleeing intolerable circumstances in their homelands. So we'll never see the intelligence about the border revamped either. Not until we uh, we reach a consensus on uh, a fair immigration system that permits people to apply and stay in queue and that effectively uh, meets the labor demands in this country and the family reunification demands. Uh, as long as people feel that there is no other option in terms of legal pathways, I don't believe you'll see the political will to actually stop the smuggling. Uh, and therefore, without condoning the, uh, the atrocities that are often committed, at the end of the day, without the smuggling groups, there would not be the migration on the scale that's taking place today. Is this very frustrating for you? Frustrating because uh, it, it, it reflects our inability to actually revise the immigration laws in a way that would make this kind of uh, hypocrisy, uh, this kind of resort to uh, smuggling groups and now the involvement of transnational crime and the danger that it, uh, it, it poses for migrants. Uh, yes, it's, a, uh, it's frustrating that we, we cannot get to the root causes here, which is we are the enemy because we cannot revise our laws to create a legal framework for the kind of migration that has made this country great. What is the difference between human smuggling and human trafficking? The smuggling organization's objective is to serve the client and meet his or her need to enter the United States or at least present themselves so they can make a claim of asylum to US officials. The trafficking organizations, on the other hand, are designed to exploit the migrants themselves, to uh, impress them into uh, labor uh, uh, gangs or worse into uh, sex uh, uh, trafficking uh, of, uh, of uh, women and, and men alike, uh, so that there's the exploitation of the migrant that never serves the migrant's desire to get to the United States and join a family member, but rather there is a diversion of, of these individuals by organized crime involved in the human trafficking to get them involved in situations where they are exploited for sexual purposes or for labor purposes. And should they be dealt with differently than the smugglers are? In my mind, there's no question, but that the priority should go to trafficking to cut down on the 
organized criminal activity involved and the and the terror that's uh, inflicted and horror that's inflicted on people. Uh, but you, you we're at a situation now where the two forms of illegal activity, smuggling and trafficking, are still separate in my mind, in my experience, but they're beginning to blur. And we need to deal with both of them. But if there were a priority, I would clearly turn to the trafficking dimension first, because that's where the greatest harm is being inflicted. That was Alan Burson, former head of Customs and Border Protection. Burson currently is a senior fellow with the Belfer Center at Harvard's Kennedy School. He is also a global fellow at the Wilson Center and a senior advisor to the Covington and Burling Law Firm. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spy Talk. Remember to subscribe to Spy Talk on Substack, where you will find fresh reporting on all things intelligence related from a cadre of top-notch reporters. And follow us on Twitter. Jeff Stein is at SpyTalker, and I'm Jean Meserve. It's been great to share this time with you. Bye-bye. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.